Welcome to First Things First, the weekly podcast where we talk about God, faith, and life in Shallow Water, Texas. Our podcast is a production of First Shallow Water, and you can find more information about our church by clicking on the link in the description of this episode. Thanks for joining us. Here's our pastor, Brad Miles. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the First Things First podcast. Each week on our podcast, we have amazing interesting, fascinating guests that uh, come in here and share their faith story and talk about what God has done in their lives. And uh, But the best thing about it is that they're amazing, interesting, fascinating people, but they could also be your neighbors, right? They might live down the street from you, which I think is my favorite part of all of this whole episode. And I'm super excited today because uh, our guest today is a person that many of you might be familiar with if you've attended uh, if you've attended First Baptist for a long time, if you've been around First Shallow Water for a while, you might know her. Uh, but, uh, but she also uh, heads up a, a, a ministry here that I'm excited for her to tell you about a nonprofit profit that she runs that that I'm excited for her to tell you about but uh, I'm really excited welcome onto the podcast Erica Bright Erica how are you today I'm good thank you man thank you for coming in and agreeing to do this it's going to be so cool uh for some of our folks in in our church maybe who uh who knew you and and then haven't you know been around you for a while to kind of yeah. hear what's going on in your life now but um but I'm really excited that you're here and I can't wait to to, to hear you kind of talk about all that God's been doing in your life. So why don't you just start by, tell people a little bit about yourself, and then and then I just want you to kind of jump into your story. And let's just hear uh, from the start, you know, uh, to, to where you are now about what God's been doing in your life. Is that okay? Yeah, that works great. Sweet. So I'm Erica Bright. Yes. I, um, I'm a full-time speech therapist. Yes. But I run a nonprofit on the side, uh-huh. as on much as side. you can on yeah. the side, yeah. <laughs> um, I married, I've been married for about eight years. Yeah. I live in Abernathy, uh-huh. and then I have three kiddos. I have a six-year-old, a two-year-old, and a seven-month-old. Okay, so that happened really fast. Like, because, really fast. So I remember like hanging out with your grandma and when you were having your first baby. Okay. So, yes. so in my mind, that's still where you are, mm-hmm. right? And now you're a mother of three kids. Okay. So that's, how, how's that going? It's pretty insane. <laughs> the last two were boys. So it's oh. wild. Yeah, they, yeah. It's a whole new world. My I'm, daughter's the easiest first child ever. And no doubt. Wild. No doubt. I'm the oldest of five boys. So my mom raised five boys. That's insane. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. well, and if you met her and were around her for a little bit, you'd be like, oh, that's what happened, you know, because <laughs> she is, she's crazy. So, uh, but I have two daughters. Okay. And when we, when I found out we were having a little girl, I was super nervous because I'd never been around little girls mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to, am I even going to be a good girl dad? I don't even know. It is the greatest thing Aww, ever. So, awesome. yeah, and they are, they're so, they're easy. There, it's yep. there. It's a totally different world mm-hmm. from little, especially when they're little, like your kids. Yes. So uh-huh. it yes. gets a little harder when you have girls and they get to high school. <laughs> yeah, I think we might hit that harder stage earlier. Yeah, yeah. I've got a really smart girl on my hands. Oh, good. So yes, smart and strong-willed. Uh-huh. And all the same. Yep. I wonder where she gets all of that from. <laughs> That's amazing. So all right, so you've been married for eight years. You've got three kids, and you're leaning into being a full-time mom, ministry on and work and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So this year will be my first year to actually, um, I've been running the nonprofit completely volunteer based. Yeah. So starting 2023, I will be going on as an employee. Sweet. So it's a huge adjustment. The Lord yeah. has just been growing us and right. growing our family to where we have the space for it. So That's I'm awesome. excited. Yeah. That's awesome. So are you going to still do speech therapy stuff, but I more am. part-time? Mm-hmm. So okay. I do home health, which is 
perfect for just my calling with the nonprofit because I can, you know, arrange my schedule to whenever I need it to. It's not a regular eight to five. Hey, y'all. Pastor Brad here with some exciting news. We've been talking for several weeks about practices that you can incorporate into your life that will help you become more spiritually healthy. Studying and meditating on Scripture is one of those essential practices, and we want to help you develop the discipline of spending time in God's Word. So... We are inviting you to join us in a weekly reading plan where we'll focus on reading through a book of the Bible together. We're also launching a new podcast called The Deep Dive, designed to help you really dig into the truths of Scripture as we read. Each week we'll have a special guest on who will help us to focus and meditate on what God is revealing to us in Scripture. You can find more information by heading out to firstshallowwater.org slash resources slash the deep dive, or you can click on the link in the description of this episode. We hope you'll join us. Let's get back to the podcast. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Okay, so so we know where you've ended up, right? Mm-hmm. So let's start at the very beginning and talk about how you how you got there. So just tell, tell us the Erica Bright story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the wild story. So my story starts in Lubbock. Yeah. Um, I was born on the east side of Lubbock. Um, both my parents were actually meth addicts, mm. and I had three older brothers at the time. Um, and then my mom pretty much, I think by the time she had me, she had decided she wanted to get clean and separated from my dad and was trying to get right. And, um, so they were doing joint custody. And then by the time I was three, she died in a house fire real suddenly and tragically. So, um, it kind of set about a change of events for me. Um, we went automatically custody went to my dad right? and, um, he, I was three and he got remarried when I was four, which okay. is a really quick turnaround. Yeah. Um, and so at a young age I was exposed to, I mean, drugs, addiction, poverty, yeah. tragic death. Um, right. and then a whole new family pretty much. My mom, my stepmom came with two other children as well. And wow. so we had moved in with her within months of us meeting her. Wow. So that was a really difficult adjustment for us. And, um, I mean, yeah, I was three when that first traumatic event started, um, that I know of, I know that we were in and out of foster care for years and, you know, I've been able to get my CPS case file since then. And my brothers were in and out as well. Um, so it just, it was a pretty rough childhood starting out. Um, and then we continue going to school on the east side of Lubbock. And then about, I guess, I had to have been seven or eight. This was about the time that, um, gosh, I'm going to butcher the name. I think it was Rich Mullins. Oh, who, yeah. Who sang, Our God is an Awesome God. Uh-huh. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I remember. You were even doing the, oh, you were yes. doing the, 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 hand, the hand motions. motions. <laughs> yes. So um, he came to Lubbock. And wow. um, he came with Zoe Girl. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's right. That was girl power. Rock band is awesome. Yes. So, um, we were gifted, my parents were gifted tickets to that concert at the United Spirit Arena and they took me. And so, um, I think cause my older stepsister, you know, she was like 15 at the time, right? didn't want to go. And then my younger siblings at the time were babies. And so I went, I was about seven and, um, that was really my first time we had gone kind of church gone to church on and off at Trinity Church in Lubbock. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember seeing people worship, but that night was my first night to really go to a worship night and yeah. just see people with tears on their face, some people on their knees. Mm. And I was sitting on an aisle seat and I remember looking across at a woman worshiping next to me and thinking, 
she really believes that God is real. Right. You know, that's that's true to her. Yeah. She feels an emotion for God right now. And yeah. just in my little brain trying to process that. And at the end, they did an altar call. Mm. And I just remember looking back at her and thinking, I want to believe that way. I want right. to have somebody that I care about like that, you know? Yeah. And so I was too terrified to go down to the front. And I, and I genuinely didn't feel like my parents really cared. Yeah whether or not I love Jesus or had a faith and so of my own. And so I just prayed the prayer to myself, kind of whispered it under my breath. And that was, um, when I accepted the Lord into my heart, (laughs) it was a very special moment for me. Um, it, it's mixed with sadness because it was alone. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like God really pursued my heart and met me where I was at and fought for me to really know him. And Mm. so, yeah, I accepted the Lord into my heart about that age a couple years before that, about the time I was five, um, my dad had started to abuse me. Mm. And so I think that it was just so special to me that God would meet me there at that concert randomly of all places right. and just really, really speak to me and call to me and draw me close to him. And so... Um, so uh, can I, I just want to stop you right there because... So here you were like in the... This is like... I mean, the darkest of the dark time, right? Mm-hmm. Because your family life's a mess and now your dad's abusing you and and like it's this really painful, dark kind of season. And in, in, in the like in the middle of that moment mm-hmm. is when the Lord just kind of lavishly pours his love out on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just want to say like, because I'm sure that there are folks that are listening to the podcast who are, who maybe feel like they're in a dark moment like that, a dark place like that. And um, maybe feels like there's no way out or, you know, kind of hopeless and isolated and alone a lot. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you felt that, that night even. Um, And I just want to say that the love of the Lord is the love of God is real Mm -hmm. and, and will reach you even in those dark moments. What does the Psalm, Psalm is saying Psalm 139, if I, if I go down to the depths, you're there. If I go to the mm-hmm. heights, you're there. The darkness isn't even dark to you. You know, yeah. it's like just like the day. And and so that's a that's a really encouraging word for folks maybe who find themselves in yeah. that. You made the most important decision. The love of Christ found you at mm-hmm. probably one of the worst moments of your life. You know, so that's good. That's good. Well, to hear. and that's a great point because I mean, my dad had start out. Um, not as severe. And then by this point, it'd been going on for a couple of years. Um, and after this point or right before that concert, he had actually, I kind of told one of my, you know, first grade friends, you know, Mm. share your secret. I'll share mine. Not, I mean, I was young. You didn't even know know how big a secret it was. I had no clue. I thought it was like, you know, I had a kiss with this kid over there, you know? And so I told my dad that I had done that and he, um, just, Oh, I mean, just an overt reaction, um, shamed me and made me feel guilty and told me that if I ever told anybody again, my whole family would leave me and the cops would take him to jail. And, and if I wanted to be alone, I could do that. So it terrified me. And already I knew I was the personality where I love my family. I love my brothers. I felt like I was the glue. You know, I, I, I wanted them all to feel loved and special and I would do whatever it took to make sure they felt that way. And so that did it for me. I, I hushed up. I didn't tell anybody else for years. And, um, so yeah, that was really when the isolation began when I was about seven years old. Mm. And, and I think it was at that point that I realized this is, 
worse than I thought. This right. is a big deal for him to react like that. You know, I, yeah. I was, my little brain was trying to comprehend what was really going on. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't got to shallow water yet. And so I didn't really see, um, what went on in other kids' lives at home. Mm-hmm. So I had nothing to compare it to at the time. Yeah. But I, I do. That I was normal for you. Like yeah. this was, you just assumed that this is the way families worked, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then to be at the United Spirit Arena at a packed out concert, mm. you know, it just makes you feel even, especially at seven or eight years old, I felt like the tiniest little thing. Right. And God met me there in yeah. the middle of all those thousands of people yeah. and picked me up, you mm. know, and um, gave me hope. Right. Gosh. That, yeah. That I wouldn't be alone. That I, And that was the thing that he called to me with was a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, let me know you and you can know me. And yeah. Yeah. that was amazing to me. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that the Lord does does mm-hmm. that. It really is. Mm-hmm. And but in for for us, like when we're in that moment, you know, of the vast sea of people and the and painful, often difficult circumstances. So, you know, I can testify to the fact too that that's where the Lord meets us. You know, because I, I mean, I've been in some pretty dark places myself too, and. Um, and to experience the the rescue of God in those mm-hmm. places, and for me, a lot of times those dark places I found myself in, they were because of me. Like <laughs> I, I made choices yeah. that put myself there, yeah. and uh, and 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 God's faithful love still found me there, even though mm-hmm. I didn't. That's good. Even though I had rejected. So like your situation was these things were it was totally out of contr- your control. They were being done to you. Mm-hmm. It didn't, you didn't have anything to do with those decisions other people were making yeah. and, and God found you and loved you and rescued you. And then for me, I, I was the cause of all of my heartache and yeah. hurt and everything else. And the Lord still, still. found me, mm-hmm. you know, that's good. And so that's, uh, I'm, that's his character. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. So, Always. So, okay, keep, keep going. So you have this moment with Jesus. You at seven years old, eight years old, you surrender your heart and your life to Christ. Just whisper a prayer. But that was like real for you at that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. T- talk about that. Um, you know, and I think at that age, you know, not telling it to your parents, your yes. authority, I mean, really to anybody. I didn't, right. you know, I lived on the east side. Nobody at school was talking about Jesus, right. you know, where we weren't saying, hey, I'll see you at youth group later tonight on a right. Wednesday, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was just kind of this private, intimate thing that I had. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't have a Bible at the time. Still, nobody in my family did. And so I just would kind of try and we would sometimes go to church on Sundays and I would really just pour my heart out to the Lord. And and every now and then we got to go to youth group on Wednesdays. Uh Um, and I just, I got really excited about Jesus and Mm -hmm. wanted to know him more. Um, what's amazing though, Erica, about that is that that desire for the Lord was happening, like in the complete absence of any like influences mm -hmm. that naturally would have led you to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had to chase, like you had to, mm-hmm. no one was helping you get yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. Which, you know, we moved to shallow water about a year after that. Oh, good. Um, year and a half or so. By the time I was in fourth grade, we moved out here right. and, um, we moved around a couple of times while we were in shallow water, but we were here right. and I still went to school in Lubbock, but pretty immediately I can remember my first day coming to church here and we kind of started to come regularly, you mm-hmm. know, when it's convenient, when it's close. Right. Thank goodness, you know, I, I got, yeah, I can remember walking in upstairs to Sunday school. I can remember my teacher's name. I can remember sitting down next to a little girl and introducing, she introduced herself to me. And, yeah. um, so it just, it, this church 
changed my life from then on out because you're right. I really had to pursue the Lord yeah. before coming here. Right. Um, and, and I can remember begging to come to, you know, Wednesday night church. Right. Or I would, I would beg to spend the night with a friend on a Saturday night so I could go to church with them in the morning. Yeah. I still really pursued the Lord on my own. It wasn't something that my parents really encouraged me to do or my, I would beg my older brothers to come to church with me, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> trying to lead them to the Lord. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so, um, yeah, I just, I loved being here. I loved getting to go to school with the same people that went to church with me on Sunday mornings. Yeah. And, um, my love for kids started here. Mm-hmm. My, my best friend Kayla, who introduced herself that first day in Sunday school, she her dad was on staff here, and so she yeah. had to be here for both services. So I would just start coming with her, right? And we'd serve in the nursery, and then we'd go to church, and sometimes we were hoodlums, but yeah. <laughs> um, we ran all over this church. So I just I really felt wholeheartedly accepted here. Um, there wasn't really a lot of doors closed for me right. here, and and so I loved that. Kayla, Kayla, what last name Kerner at Kern. the time. Oh. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. Gary's. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love Gary and love Pam. Them. They're, They're amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pam's probably running around up here, actually. actually right I saw now. her walking out when <laughs> I was walking in. Yep. <laughs> that's good. So, anyway, they are precious people. And and so that that was that's the little girl that introduced herself mm-hmm. to you the first day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which I don't know that she would consider herself very outgoing. I think she uh-huh. would call herself shy at first, but she did. And it meant a lot to me because I probably wouldn't have introduced myself to anybody. Yeah. And she took that first step. So, yeah. So, okay, I'm going to tell a quick story because I really want to hear more of your story. But what you just said is something that I feel like we really need to talk about. So, um, I, my mom was single. Okay. She had been through two divorces. Okay. She was single with four kids mm-hmm. coming out of an abusive relationship, right? Where, you know, he beat her really, really badly, you know, and, um, and she was, so she's single with four kids. We lived in this two-bedroom apartment in Brownwood, you know. Mm. So uh, there were there were about there were way more mice in that apartment than there were people, yeah. you know. It was like mm-hmm. that. So, uh, so, but she always went to church, right? And so, so it was the first Sunday that we were that we were in Brownwood. She had moved, you know. Her parents had moved her there to get her away from, oh, gotcha. you know, the the guy that she was married to. And uh, anyway, uh, so. She was like, well, I I better go to church, you know. And so she packed all of us up and went to First Baptist Church, Brownwood, Texas. Okay. She was terrified. Mm-hmm. But she just went there because it was, she, her parents were Baptist. She grew up Baptist. So she went to First Baptist. Okay. She was terrified. She was, this is in the, like the early 80s. And she's a single woman with four yeah. kids coming off of her second divorce. Mm-hmm. She was terrified to do it. We got there late because you don't get four kids mm-hmm. to church, no. you know, on time, mm-hmm. you know. And so we got there late. So she's walking all the way across the parking lot, you know. And, but there was this guy. Uh, his first name was Chalk. I cannot remember his last name. He was a deacon at the church. And he saw us coming across the parking lot. And he ran down the steps and met my mom in the middle of the parking lot. And he just told her, we are so glad that you were here. And he knelt down and met all of us, you know. And And then he was like, what are their ages? And then he took us to all of our Sunday school classes. And then, and then he said to my mom, he's like, so what about you? Do uh, young married classes, singles class? I mean, where, where are you? And she was like, you know, singles class. And he was like, great. We have a great singles group here. So he took her to the singles class. He interrupted the teacher, Sunday school. He said, I want for you all to meet my good friend, Connie. 
and she we are so excited to have her here and I'm so excited she gets to join you guys and anyway I tell people all the time uh if she had had a different experience she probably would have turned around and we never would have gone back and and I wouldn't be a pastor, right? And my brothers wouldn't be serving. Like what God did with this guy who his only job was just to greet people and welcome people when they came to church. But, but what we don't understand is that so many people are coming to church and they're having to jump over all kinds of barriers. Yes. They're having to stir up their courage mm-hmm. to even come. And when they are welcomed like that, makes all the difference in the world can make an yeah. eternal difference mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. so anyway so so i just wanted to point that out like somebody made you feel welcome mm-hmm. and that was a catalyst for growth for you going forward mm-hmm. that's awesome okay all right yeah, so keep amazing. going so you you're a hoodlum running all over the church <laughs> all right yeah so we i i i could i would say i grew up here at first right. Order. Yeah. um you know, to this day, I, even when I was walking up, I was thinking, I, I have dreams about this place, being <laughs> a kid and running around. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there's bits of it that I know just from memory. Yeah. And so, right. um, yeah, I loved it. I really grew into the Lord and felt like I had a place where, um, you know, I don't know if it's the same still, but youth group was out. We called it the garage. Yeah. Across the parking lot. No, no, it's down here in the old worship oh, center. Now. So you okay. should. You need to come I on a to. Wednesday sometime. So because awesome. it's a, it, you know, there's like 150, you know, youth down there. It's oh, awesome. So it's growing a lot. Yeah. 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 We would meet in the garage, and I. It was the first time where you know the they turned the lights off. Yeah. And worship was just a peaceful moment where right. I could feel safe yeah. and. It was this kind of weird mix of not being seen, but also knowing that I could come and be myself. Yeah. And, and you were seen by the Lord. And, yeah, yeah, still seen and known. And so um, I really developed my own heart and relationship with the Lord that wasn't my father's. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't what I knew or what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so I I guess about the time, and, and in the meantime at home, things were about the same. Um, yeah. My dad was still an alcoholic drug abuser and would cheat on my stepmom and things were just crazy. And then, um, there, she would leave and then come back and whatnot. And so there was one time that I was about 11 years old and, um, she left me and, um, took my younger siblings and my older siblings were all out of the house. And so she just abandoned me at the house with him. Right. And, um, that night he abused me and I just remember crying in my bed thinking, God, I can't, I can't be alone. You know, I just yeah. really felt abandoned. Yeah. Um, we, we, had, by this point we had moved out to a house way out in the country. And oh. so there wasn't like I could walk into town before right. I lived a mile outside of shallow water and I wouldn't mind walking into town when I needed to. So I was just praying. Um, and I remember praying that God would bring somebody to take me to school. I didn't know how I was going to get to school and I wanted to get away from my house. And mm-hmm. so sure enough, one of my friends called the landline and said, Hey, do you need a ride to school? I mean, just thank you, Jesus. Yes, yeah, I need right. a ride. So I went to school that morning and just the whole time was carrying that with me. And, um, you know, I shared the same last name as my brothers and they were a bunch of thugs and, right. um, you know, I had a lot of insecurities about who I was at school, my identity, you know, was I attached to them, you know, am I yes, my own person, right. you know, what, how do people think of me and treat mm. me? And, um, everyone just always loved me as my own person. Yeah. And I can, you know, now I know there was an at-risk counselor that was 
you know, had me on her caseload because I was at risk and I right. had no clue. I just thought she really liked me. You know, that's how <laughs> welcome shallow water made me feel. Yeah. And so, um, I went to school that day and was just stressed out and asked a friend, Kayla, if I could go home with her after school and go to church that night. She yeah. said, sure. So then, you know, I made it through school and I went to her house and we were curling our hair and, you know, probably listen to Barlow Girl yeah. on the oh, CD. You and know so, you were. Barlow yeah. Girl, man. They could bring it. Yes. So we were just getting ready for church and I just could feel that same thing that you were just talking about, you know, getting ready to go to church and just there's this moment where you know all the darkness that you're carrying and all the pain and grief mm -hmm. and weight and you know you're about to bring it to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with that, you know? And so... I just felt it building and building, and I'd never felt like that before. And and to, to clear, to backtrack just a little bit, this was in about January of right. my eighth grade year of junior high. Um, that past October, I had just gotten so, you know, so immersed in the culture here, in the community, in the church that I came and walked down this office hallway and asked to meet with the youth pastor and said, Hey, I think I want to be baptized. Sweet. And so he was like, you know, sure, let's meet and talk about it, which mm -hmm. I didn't expect that. And I had to come into his office by myself and he wanted to ask me, you know, do you know, no, do you really know what that means? Right. Let's talk about this because mm -hmm. I think it was kind of shocking to him for me to just be on my own and say, this is something I want right. and I don't want my parents, you know, they don't need to be in this meeting with that. You know, yes. I think he was kind of like, mm, this is what's odd. going on? Yeah. But it was a phenomenal conversation. And I just remember thinking, he sees that this is my own faith. Yeah. And and I do understand. You know, even that conversation was empowering to me that right. I could move forward. I could make this decision on my own. And yeah. um, and I was. I was baptized and had a friend, um, a friend's mom stand in the little baptismal and take pictures of us. And, and that's one of the only pictures I have. And wow. I love it. And so... That happened October 31st of my eighth grade year. Mm. And then by January is when this Wednesday night was just stirring up in me. And um, so I just, I ended up breaking down in that bathroom and crying and telling my friend, hey, I've, I've got something big that I need to share. And at this point I knew right. my childhood was completely different. You know, right. I had friends who weren't allowed to come to my house, mm -hmm. kind of different. And so I knew it wasn't okay. I just didn't see a way out. And yeah. so I just thought maybe we're going to church. Maybe this is the Lord telling me to open up to her about it. And so I did. I, I let it all out and shared with her everything. And she was shocked and we cried. And then she said, okay, let's go tell my parents, mm -hmm. you know, to her, that's the natural thing. And I freaked out and was mad at her and swore her to secrecy, like any good eighth grader and right. pinky promised. Um, and then we came to youth group. And so I thought, okay, I've got that off my chest. I feel better. That's yes. what God wanted me to do. That right. was it. Well, she, after worship, you know, we could go up and pray. And she went up to one of my favorite, um, she was a college student volunteering at the time. She went up to her and was talking to her. And I saw her point at me. And I just was irate immediately because I thought she's telling her everything, you know. And I was such an idiot. And I didn't know what this person would do. So she called me over there and I glared at Kayla on the way over there. And then I got to her and she said, you need to calm down. And just said, Kayla didn't tell me anything. And okay. I was kind of shocked. And she said, she just told me you were hurting and you needed somebody to talk to. And I just, I think in that moment of feeling like I had built up this rage with Kayla of she just shared my most intimate thing. Right. You know, yeah. the, the one time I finally opened up to somebody and she just 
betrays me right yeah. away. You know, I don't feel seen or heard. Yeah. For then to hear that she handled it in such a mature way, mm-hmm. just to say, this is hers to share, not mine, you know, but yeah. to also say, to be brave enough and say, she's probably gonna be mad at me, but she needs to talk to somebody yes. and to set that up. For, I mean, it was so beyond what I thought she might do. And right. it, like I said, I was hopeless. I didn't know a way out. So for her to be so creative about it, you know, my mind was just racing in that moment and I just broke down because it meant so much to me that she handled it that way. Right. Um, and it was, you know, kind of my saving grace mm-hmm. to be honest. And, um, so I started bawling. We were standing at the foosball table and so she just <laughs> set me up on the table and I just yeah. cried. And, um, I did, I told her everything mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I, it's crazy because I love sharing that story. I was talking to my husband about it the other night because what should have been the most arguably traumatic night of my life. Right. All, every time I tell it, all I talk about is how much people loved me that night and the little yeah. ways that they did little and big. Yeah. Um, but you know, her name was Lee. Lee went to the youth pastor who then went to the church pastor and, you know, Gary ended up coming up and this is at like nine o'clock at night. Right. Um, and they just took care of everything. I mean, my brain was so in survival mode at that point. I couldn't think straight. And so I just kind of retreated and, and my, um, survival mode, when that kicks in, I freeze. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. I just stand as still as I can. And I try not to make any sounds. It's just what I had learned to do over the years. And so I did, I kind of shut down and froze and, um, they just did everything for me. Um, they made sure I ate dinner. They brought me a bottle of water. They walked me across to the big church. And, um, you know, we came right here. Actually, I sat in that hallway and, um, you know, sat on the floor and listened to the pastor call CBS and report the abuse and just was panicking. Every inch of my body was shaking. And um, Kayla's mom brought me a bottle of water. And Kayla sat with me on the floor. And this was about like 11 o'clock at night. I mean, we were exhausted. But again, it just, I see people and I see the ways that they loved me and, um, you know, sprang into action. And I'd never seen anybody do anything for me like that. You know, I had played sports all through junior high. And um, there was one time that anybody from my family of 10 came to a game for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how little people did for me. Right. So to see people stay up late and make calls and have hard conversations and get a game plan and Kayla's mom had called my dad and, you know, said, hey, we're going to keep her overnight so it's easier for her to get to school in the morning, you know, little, I didn't think about that, you know, I didn't think about, oh, I'm going to have to go home tonight. Right. Yeah. So they did, they just baby stepped and held my hand through that process, Um, you know, and it just, and I think maybe for people listening who are living this life of pain at home and Mm -hmm. they're exposed to extreme darkness like this. And then during the day I was going to school and had a smile and I could block off things, you know, and be myself at school and then shut down at home, you know? And so I think, um, you get, I got to where I feel like a fake or a fraud Mm -hmm. and, and I really question my identity. Is this real? Do I really love Jesus? Am I really this person or am I this person at home? Am I going to be who my family is? Am I going to become one of them one day? Am I going to be addicted to drugs? Am I going to steal? Am I going to drop out of high school? You know, those thoughts run through your head and, um, I think God just pursued me in such a way where he made it undeniable, Mm -hmm. his truths, you know, and then I always, I got to where I just was 
addicted to my Bible. You know, I had <laughs> to always have it with me because that's where I could find solid truth that never changed. When right. I, my life was upside down and I was questioning who I was, I could repeat and memorize those verses in my head and just speak truth over myself. And yeah. it's so powerful, you know, but I think it's good for people to know that, you know, everybody has their own pain and darkness mm-hmm. and um, what we see during the day at work or at school or at church, you know, may not always be what's going on back at home. Right. So maybe don't feel so alone in that. Um, and for others of us, it's important to be aware. We, we don't have any idea yeah. what somebody might be. In fact, doing this podcast has been like that for me because, right. you know, I'll be sitting across from people I've had a lot of conversations with and they start telling me their story and I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that you had that you had been through all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so there, it really is important to remember there, there were, there are desperate hurting people all around us. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're just not, we, we just don't have eyes to see it. You know, mm-hmm. we're not allowing the spirit to kind of lead us, you know, yeah. to those places. And even to know, like my whole story with God starts with somebody gifting those concert right. tickets to my parents. That's just a little thing. The yeah. littlest thing. And, you know, even now working with my nonprofit, people will be like, it's not much. And it drives me nuts because right. I want to say, you have no clue the gravity of, you know, how small a mustard seed can the Lord use yeah, to work right. big yeah. generational life-changing miracles out for people, right. you know. And from the get-go, you know, maybe those tickets cost, what, 20 bucks a pop right. max and that <laughs> yeah. made such a huge difference and it got me out of poverty if you mm-hmm. want to be practical about it and think i'm only giving that person probably thought i'm only giving 40 dollars worth. right but they, it did it broke a generational cycle of poverty mm-hmm. for me and my family and yeah. i'm out of that now and, right. and i'm thankful for that so yeah and and just the little ways that people like bringing me a bottle of water in the midst of that where I can't think straight, you know, that meant yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. You remember that. Like mm-hmm. you remember a bottle of water mm-hmm. that somebody brought you. I think that's really important to talk about because it's those little acts of kindness really are more powerful than we know. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay. So, so then, I mean, you're, you've just had this huge monumental thing happen. Yeah. CPS, uh, I'm assuming, what, did they come out the next day or did they come out that night? That next day. Yeah. And so you were removed from your the home then. Yeah. So I, I went to school with Kayla the next morning and, oh gosh, I think it was like second period maybe. I was in computer class and um, they uh, came and pulled me and said, hey, you need to come to the high school office. Right. Because at the time I had a brother that was 16 or 17. And okay. so I walked across to the high school office and then two women I didn't know, my stepmom and my grandma. I was so confused. Um, but I knew it had something to do with that. And so, um, you know, sure, they said, hey, you're, you know, we've had some issues going on at the house. We need you guys to come with us. You're going to go with your stepmom for a little bit today. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that the CPS process works is you go to a place called the Children's Advocacy Center, mm-hmm. which is downtown Lubbock. Yep. And um, they kind of have this whole building. They think about the, the functionality of the rooms and the process when you physically walk through the building. You kind of go in this circle and it's a step of the intake process each okay. room is. And so... We started out in a waiting room and it was me and my um, younger siblings. 
and they took my brother somewhere else. I can't remember where, but my stepmom took us to have this, um, process done and basically do an interview and, um, take down my statement. I had a videographer come and video me and, um, that was arguably probably the most traumatic day of my life. It was just a lot. And I was worried for my younger siblings. Um, and it just, it, yeah, it was just terrifying just having to finally talk about it all, especially people I didn't know. Mm. Um, and so the staff there, I remember some of their names and Mm. how kind they were and, um, they have a special place in my heart as well. And I try to give back to them as much as I can. Right. Because that's a hard job um, to walk with kids through that, to mm-hmm. walk with spouses through that. You know, right. Anybody involved when there's a case of abuse, it's, it's really hard. And so we went through there and um, we ended up going. At that time, my mom was still, my stepmom was still separated from my dad. So she had been staying at the Women's Protective Shelter. Okay. So I went to stay with her that night. And I think, you know, um, I, I won't talk too much about my family because I know that that's their story to share, but they... Um, eventually by that night had completely denied all allegations of abuse. Um, and, um, and an important part of my story is that my dad's side of the family was Hispanic and in a Hispanic family, you don't get outside people involved. You right. handle it in house. And so my whole family did exactly what my dad said they would do. They all rejected me. Um, he went to jail and they all told me I wasn't a part of the family anymore and God. outcast me. And so, it was this level of secondary trauma. But then, um, that next day I got to go back to shallow water and remember feeling like, okay, this, everything's changed. My I'm a different person. My family, what I thought was real was not, you Mm. know, and then I come back to shallow water and everyone's the exact same towards me. Right. Nobody treats me any differently. Yeah. And that made a big difference for me. And so, you know, that same, um, youth leader volunteer. She got certified where she could drive me back and forth to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights when she could. Um, Kayla's family, as quick as they could, she begged them to become foster parents. <laughs> so they got licensed and um, by August, I moved in with them. And mm. so I got bounced around. I moved in with my dad's mom and they were abusive towards me as well. And then I went to a children's shelter in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. And then um, first weekend, we called it Fish something fish weekend or something like that first weekend before, right, before ninth grade year yeah, my daughter just did it okay so, yeah. yeah um that weekend i got to move in with kayla's family and i was so pumped and they um really just communicated with my social worker and caseworker you know that's important for erica to be around people she knows to yeah. be in the same school to be at the same church and i'm thankful you know i don't know how many adult conversations were had about me that i wasn't a part of right. but God used people to keep me safe. Mm. Um, and so I did. I went to school here in Shallowater until I graduated, actually. Mm. So I, and I stayed here at First Baptist for as long as I could. Um, I bounced around through the foster care system. I went through about three more foster homes. And then I ended up at Buckner Children's Home. Yeah. And I stayed there for a year. And then I was adopted at 16. Yeah. Which is just another crazy part of my story. Um, that's a part of the story that I have heard. So that's, yeah, that is a the heart gallery, right? Yes, yes. your your picture in mm-hmm. the heart gallery. Yeah, and your mom and dad were, you know, it was set up at their church, right? Uh-huh. Yes, sir. And and they just saw your picture, but independently of each other. Mm-hmm. If I remember, if mm-hmm. I, I remember yep. the story right, and both of them, the Lord laid you on their hearts, and 
Yeah. And then later they had a conversation about like, what you two, you, know, you like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and what's funny is that they, um, you know, the thing that the Lord spoke to my mom was where is she going to go during the holidays mm, when she's right. in college yes. is what she thought of, which is strange because I'm a, at the time when I took the picture, I was 14, Yeah, you know? And so it's funny cause I feel like the Lord was just, um, speaking truth over my life at that time, because, you know, from my perspective, the life that I was living in foster care, they start t- talking to you about aging out, Yeah, which is when you turn 18, you're no longer, the state doesn't provide for you anymore. Right, you're not right. a child of the state. Mm-hmm. There's no home for you. There's no funding for you. So they start trying to prep you as much as they can. And so I thought I was going to turn 18 and age out of the system. Right. And I had no clue. I was terrified of what was going to happen. And I talked to a lot of my foster siblings. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Mm. You know, are what's out and nobody, none of us had any clue what we were going to do. And so it was this dark day ahead. Mm -hmm. And, um, for, so for, and not a lot of people knew that aging out is a thing, you know, right? you just pray and you want to believe that everybody gets adopted, sure. you know, or somebody has a place for them to go. The state's got a plan for them. Yeah. And so it's funny that that's what God used to speak to my mom about me was what's going to happen to her when she's aged out. And, um, so, and they didn't know anything about aging out, right. her and my dad. And so, yeah, they did. They, um, the Lord laid the, me on their heart and they went to fight for me right away. And so they saw my picture in January of 2009 and I met them in May and moved in with them two weeks after I met them. So it was just a <laughs> whirlwind. Um, it was insane. And again, just another way that God went to fight for me. And right. um, they, I guess they got to meet the, sh- the staff here at Shallow Water because school was getting out that same month in May. And yeah. um, Tammy Roberts was the at-risk counselor here. And yeah. she threw like a going away or happy adoption party for me <laughs> with a cake and everything. And what's funny, I mean, just the little things that God uses to change generations. Um, she got me this, you know, old school. It looked very adult. It was not for a teenage girl. <laughs> um almost like piece of decoration, you know, that sits on a bookshelf, but it had a Bible, it had a cross and it said, um, Oh gosh, I'm going to butcher. I think it's like Psalms 138, three. And it says, um, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord and you saved me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. And I'm sure she said something to me when she gave it to me. And, and that was that, but after, and I don't really remember much of that day other than I got to have a party in the library and I felt special. But after that day, my mom and dad said, there's no way we could take her away from shallow water. Right. And just really understood as much as they could how much a part shallow water had to play in my story. Right, and so right. they committed to driving me. At that time, it was 30 minutes, yeah. you know, one way yeah, to shallow water. Yeah, because they lived south Lubbock. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. So they did. They they just were blown away by the <laughs> community out here. And, um, you know, there were just other people that fought for me in little ways. And they got to see it and said we couldn't build that community for her at a school in right. Lubbock. You know, this is just phenomenal. And so I did, I stayed at Shallower, but my adoptive dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I had to leave the church and I was <laughs> so brokenhearted about that. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I, it was interesting to go to a new church and to be new again, to be the new right. person yeah. and feel that same fear of like, you know, I'm the adopted kid or right. I'm the yeah. foster kid. Are they going to treat me? with kindness and dignity, you know, or am I going to be an outcast? Mm-hmm. And so I was really scared to leave my church. Um, and it was the same thing. I can remember 
walking in and the first person who said, hi, my name's Koi. What's your name? Mm -hmm. And they had already heard my story and already right. were ready to just love me. And yeah. I mean, within a couple of weeks, I started serving in the nursery again. And so <laughs> it just, same thing. And I, I love to tell people, you know, First Baptist really helped me survive. They mm -hmm. had to carry me through foster care right. and the whole way um, yeah. and big things and little and, and fostering my relationship with the Lord to just making sure I was safe, you know, right. making sure I had underwear, yeah. things like that. Yeah. They took yeah. care of for me, but also just helping me ha have some kind of consistency. Um, and, and it helped to really continue my faith in the Lord and have hope that mm. he was going to lead me through it. And, um, man, they did, they just helped me survive. And that was, it carried great weight for my testimony and my story. And then when I went to my new church, they just helped me thrive. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, first Baptist was able to hand me off and say, Hey, right love her, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I feel like they really did. And yeah. so, um, I stayed at shallow water and, um, just kind of was able to breathe a little bit more, kind mm. of step out of that survival mode a little bit. And then my senior year of high school, I thought of the idea for Reclaim 43. Mm -hmm. Funny enough from somebody from first Baptist, um, it was, we were doing a senior project and she asked me, you know, what are some things you want to do? Big dreams. Right. And I just said, I think I want to do something. And I wrote down, give back to the community. Yeah. She said, so what do you mean by that? And I just said, you know, people went to bat for me and, mm -hmm. you know, the children's advocacy center, they were so kind to me mm -hmm. and it made a difference. You know, my caseworkers made a difference. And right. so she said, I think you should do that. I think that's going to be a big thing for you. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. So I just went to, I love to write. So I drew up the idea for Reclaim 43, which is a, a mentor program for teenagers aging out of foster care mm -hmm. and just really prayed and studied and thought, God, what would we do for them if we could do anything? Right. It was, I would give them my, my community. I would love yes. to give them my people. Right. Say, if you could just that's be the, around these people. That's the thing that they need the most. Yes. But, but, and, and sometimes, you know, this is tough for me to get my head around because like I said, I've, I've got four younger brothers. Like I've, I was surrounded by community my whole life. Yeah. You know, healthy community for the most part. Right. And, and I think for people like me, it's really difficult to understand, you know, how alone mm -hmm. somebody can be. Yeah. yeah. And especially when they're teen a teenager and they're, and they know, you know, they're in foster care and they know that they're, you know, to, I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot of people who literally have no one, you know, yeah. that they can call. You know, I mean, gosh, my daughters, if they were, you know, if something happens, if their car breaks down or if they don't have the, you know, the money to pay a bill or whatever else, they call, they can call me yeah. and I'll do whatever. And, and I'm not even the only one. Their grandparents yes. are like that. Yes. Their cousins are like that. Like their aunts and uncles are all like this. They have this family around them that is yeah. always available, mm -hmm. you know, if they're in need, which allows them to just kind of like, um, to take take risks and live boldly yes, and do things. Absolutely. So we don't often understand what it's like for a person who has none of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, if if something bad happens, if something tough happens, if there's a struggle, like there, there's no place to go. Yeah. So I think what you said is so powerful and true it, to surround people with community because yeah. that's what that's what you're missing the most. I think at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and like you think about a lot of my youth that I work with have kids. Right. And, you know, I'm thankfully I got saved physically, you know, the Lord saved me spiritually, but I was removed and, um, introduced to community. And my husband comes from a great background. And so, you know, we have this conversation of, okay, if something tragic were to happen to me and you, yeah, where would we, what would we do with our kids? Let's get a plan. And we have to have a conversation of like, okay, would we choose these people or would we choose these people? Or what about these people? You know, we have options of wonderful people that all we're doing is weighing, Pros versus pros, right? You know, yeah. whereas these girls, they don't have a single person, mm. um, and and more often than not, the person that they have is the person that abused them, yeah. and that's that's their normal. You know, they're still in that mindset that I was as a little girl, where that's just life. Yeah. I don't know anything different. And the sad thing is, is most of our youth who are aging out, they've been in care the longest, mm-hmm. so they've spent years around people that come from that same background. So they do, you know, where for me, it was the opposite where I came to shallow water and I got around other, you know, white middle-class families who Mm -hmm. all went to first Baptist and their grandparents went to first Baptist and (laughs) home life was good. You know, they had their dysfunction and problems, but home life was safe. Yeah. That was the normal. But these kids that are aging out, they're around other kids who their daddy abused them too. Or Mm -hmm. this dad was the gang leader of this gang. And my dad was a gang leader of this gang and we knew each other. Yeah. You know, that that's the normal in foster care culture. And Mm -hmm. so these girls, they don't know any different. Um, and there's there, you know, God's given me a heart to kind of pursue the intellectual and academic side and scientific side of what does trauma do to these kids? Right. Um, And, and how can we come at it from that angle and mm-hmm. have some education behind it? But also how does that line up with what the Bible says? Right. And it's, it all boils down to, and the heart of our mission boils down to the verse where it says, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. and the word of our testimony. And the word of our testimony. Yeah. There's so much power behind that. It's maybe, a, you could maybe call that two sentences. I bet it's one sentence though, right. that I think that is, you know, that is how God saves the world. Mm-hmm. That was his plan from the get go, you know? And I just see these girls and I think if they could know that everyone's got a story, mm-hmm. um, you know, first and foremost, that Jesus loves them yeah. and, and knows them and died for them specifically, not the crowd, but right. for the, the one. And, um, and then to know that everyone's got a story and that's there's power in it. God created us to be able to tell our stories and mm-hmm. and it's changed over the thousands of years that humans have been on the earth, the mm-hmm. ways that we tell our story. Right. But there's still that same power behind it. And mm-hmm. and now I've I've read books and books on how that's scientific. It mm-hmm. rewires our brains. Yeah. It right. clicks off our survival mode and turns on our learning mode, our mm-hmm. creative mode, the part of us that wants to take risks and be bold and right. try things, you know? And so that's it. That's what we're doing with Reclaim 43 is just trying to get our girls some community and, um, bring them to the Lord. If they haven't heard Jesus, we're, t- we're speaking his name, Yeah. but also, we live in Lubbock, Texas, where there's a church on every corner. And right. so most of them have been to church. Sure. But there hasn't been anybody that's sat down and said, tell me your story and I'll tell you where I see God in it. Mm-hmm. You right. know? Yeah. Um, and there again, there's power in that. You put those two things together and that's saving grace. And yep. that's what we're trying to do for them. You know? That's great. So there's a, a couple things that I want to say. And then I, w- and then, uh, and then I want to ask you to, um, 
tell people how they could get involved at Reclaim 43. And by the way, we're, we're going to have a link to the website in the description of this episode. So if you're listening, just go down to the description and click on the link and you can go to the website. Lots of great information about the organization there. Um, but I want to say a couple quick things. First, uh, the, you know, most people, when they think about adopting, particularly adopting a kid out of foster care, you know, their thought process is adopting, you know, a younger, a younger Mm -hmm. child, even an infant. That's kind of what they're thinking. And, uh, because honestly, right. There's a lot of issues and baggage sometimes that comes with a teenager with adopting a teenager. And it's a, and it, and you know, it's a challenge. There are different challenges there. Yeah. But I just want to, I just want to say, you know, God, I just really hope somebody is listening who hears this and thinks, what if I could be a part of a story like that? Absolutely. You know, and it's not going to look like yours, Erica, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, God doesn't do the same thing twice. You know I mean? It, it's, he, it, so it's not going to look like yours, but, but what if there was somebody out there who's like, look, I would, I would be willing to follow the, Holy, the leadership of the Holy Spirit yeah. and to provide in a home and a family you know, for, for, for a teenager and how awesome that could be. Well, how powerful that could mm-hmm. be. And the other thing would be uh, foster care. Maybe there's some folks listening and, and look, let me say as clearly as I know how those of us who claim the name of Christ, we don't get to decide whether or not we serve the orphan that God has commanded us to do it. And in the book of James, James even writes it this way. True spirituality is caring for widows and orphans it the truest expression of who we are in christ is when we care for the orphan we don't get to decide whether we're going to do it we're only figuring out how the how the holy spirit wants us to do it so for someone who's out there if you if you're a christian and you're hearing this it may be that the lord is saying i want for you to be a foster parent i want for you to invite kids who have been abused and neglected into your home so that they can experience this community that Eric is talking about so that they can, so that they can be brought into a, a, a church like first Baptist shallow water and a school yeah. district like shallow water ISD. And so they can be loved by people in this community mm-hmm. and, and, and be taken out of that negative community that you were talking about, right? Where they're surrounded mm-hmm. by other people who are as broken as they are. Yeah. So I want to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is the work that you guys are doing at Reclaimed. And so I want you to talk a little more about that. But but where you're you're taking these kids now who, you know, they're they're aging out, but but you're trying to connect them with folks who can speak truth into their lives and, and who can kind of help them as they navigate these waters. So how can uh, people listen to this podcast? What are some ways that they can get involved? What are what are some things that you ask volunteers to do and how do you plug people into what you're doing in Reclaim forty three? So we, well, and first I want to comment on, um, your call to action and, and just say, I've seen a lot of, um, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I can't foster that's someone else is going to do that. You know, yeah. there's this mentality that it's, it's a whole world out there that it's running and it's working, you know? And for me, this was 10 years ago, 2006. I mean, however long ago that was. And it was hard for me to foster, find a foster home in Lubbock. I mean, I got moved out to Amarillo. Yeah. It still is, by and, the way. Well, it's it's gotten significantly worse. Yeah. I mean, you we call it a foster care crisis right. in our in West Texas, specifically in this area. Yeah. And so 
I think that there's this stigma where everyone thinks there's people out there doing it because we all know somebody that fosters. So yeah. it's, it's getting taken care of, but it's not. It's not, mm-hmm. and it's getting worse. And yeah. so um, I think it's even more important now to get more foster families out there. And um, an issue that I'm seeing is we have a lot of kids who, you know, maybe they're 16 or 17 and somebody at school sees that their life is their home life isn't good and they need to be saved from it, but they don't want them to go into foster care. So they just come live with a friend until they turn 18. Right. Um, and, and there's something called family-based social services yeah. where it's better for, they're trying to keep them out of the trauma, the secondary trauma of foster care. And mm-hmm. I, and I understand that, but I'm coming from the angle of if they go through foster care, the state is required to pay for their entire tuition right. at any state college they want to go to. Yeah. I actually got paid over $10,000 a semester yeah. to go to, to college go to at Tech. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's where we're talking about generational changes mm-hmm. for these kids. Um, and so I, I would recommend anybody that sees a situation where a kid has a terrible home life and needs help and you don't know how to help them, mm-hmm. feel free to give me a call. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm not an expert, but I've lived it and I've also seen and heard other kids' stories. And I pride myself on being connected with the foster care community and right. I can get them connected to resources and figure out, you know, do they need to go to foster care? Would it be more helpful to right. be in foster care for six months and then get lifelong assistance <laughs> yeah. or stay with a friend for six months and have nothing other than what that friend can offer, right. you know? Yes. And so um, that's just an angle that I think you know, they, there needs to be more awareness on that side. But for Reclaim 43, we are actually in a place right now in a season of being very financially blessed, which mm. is phenomenal. Right. I mean, we're super, super thankful. And I'm excited about that because now I get to put my hands to work right. on the real work. And mm-hmm. um, right now, what we're really needing is mentors. We have lots of young women specifically who are open and willing to get a mentor. And that's their number one thing. You know, yes, they want help with their rent. Yes. They want their phone bill paid. Those things help out for the minute, but, um, for the day to day, but most of them are asking me, when do I get somebody that's going to come and talk with me and just help me process some of the things that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so that's my biggest, um, ask right now is for more mentors. You know, I walk with, our mentors hand in hand. I offer lots of assistance as much as needed. Um, but we just ask that these mentors come alongside them, meet with them once a month. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we ask them to discuss next steps. Um, share your story, mm-hmm. obviously, because the Bible tells us there's power in that and you never know what they need to hear in your story. And then also help them share their story um, teach them there's power in their story sure. and, and teach them, talk about their story. Where, where could you see God in that? You know, mm-hmm. let's see how resilient you really are. Right. Right. And um, empower them to tell their story. And so those are our three missions or, you know, steps that we have them do over a six month period. Okay. That's what we ask of our mentors. Um, anything financial we provide. Okay. Um, if you take them out to lunch, we reimburse you, that kind of situation. I mean, it's yeah. a really easy volunteer gig. Mm-hmm. Um, it does require you, though, to really get to know the kid yeah. and, right. um, you know, be one-on-one with them, um, which I love. And there's, like, I've experienced it myself through First Baptist, so I know the power in it. 
So we're asking for mentors right now. And then we have tons of fun programs where, mm-hmm. you know, we have a birthday program. We buy them a cake. We take them flowers and a yeah. gift card. I need volunteers for that. Okay. Um, we have a couple who need rides to mm-hmm. places. You know, I've got a young mom staying at the Women's Protective Shelter who is trying to get a job. But she's limited because if she yeah. can't walk there or take a bus there, she can't work there. Right. Um, so thing, you know, things like that. And then, um, we also do a monthly event every month throughout the year for our youth. So like this month I'm doing, um, it's going to be next week. We're doing a vision board night and we're going to give them all planners and talk about the importance of goal setting. And let's think through for the next year. What do you want to do? What are some goals? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, you know, taking that clinical scientific side and helping them turn off their survival mode. I want yes. to give them a safe place yeah. where they know you're good for tonight. You've yeah. got food, you've got a bed. We know what's happening tonight. Let's plan for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about that. So if anyone wants to come and volunteer at nights like that, just to be an extra person in the room, sure. to love on them and help them feel seen um, and heard, that's helpful always. So, yeah. Let's see. And that's awesome stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, and I'm assuming you need some female mentors, right? Because mm-hmm. most of the people that you're dealing with right now who yes. want mentors are females. Is that right? Yes. Most of our young adults are females, and we work with 18 to 25. Okay. Um, so I, th- I would say we have about eight right okay. now that need mentors and are ready for mentors. Yeah. Um, so these aren't kids that you're going to, you know, I my perspective, teenagers are terrifying. And so I'm picturing like the girl that I'm gonna have to come and convince to open up and talk to me. Right. No, these girls are ready to go. They want someone to listen and Mm -hmm. encourage them and build them up. Um, and they're all so precious. So, okay. So, all right. So, uh, this podcast will be out a couple of weeks from right now when we're having the conversation, but, but I'm saying this right now, listen, uh, you, you click on the link right now. If you're listening, Get on the website and contact Reclaim 43 about being a mentor. Do it right now. I want from when this 24 hours from from when this podcast episode airs, I want for there to be eight volunteers who have committed to being a mentor once a month for six months, right? <laughs> that's, that's what you're talking yes. about. Mm-hmm. Who've committed to be a mentor for um, for girls uh, who, who desperately need it. So, um, so... I'm just throwing it out there I'm, I'm in, in faith. I believe that there's eight of you out there listening to this podcast Amazing. who are like, I will, I can do that. I will do that. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to lead you guys to do that. So, um, so let's just, let's just claim that. And, uh, yeah. and we'll make sure that that piece of the puzzle gets done. So, um, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. This, I mean, if you listen to all this stuff and you get to the end of this and there's this call to action, you're like, well, no, maybe not. Then I'm, I'm worried about you. So like, really, there's a, there are good things going on here and you get to be a part of it. So, so do it. Okay. Do it yeah. right now. Don't wait, do it today. And, um, and you, you get to be a part of this amazing story that God is writing in and through Erica. And what a privilege y'all. What, what a privilege. So, all right, look, I'm so grateful for the time that you've given us today, really. And so grateful for, uh, for your story and challenged, really, by, you know, your faith and, uh, and the way that you're walking it out. So um, anyway, so I'm grateful that God gave us the opportunity to hang out today and looking forward to uh, spending more time with you in the future. Yeah. Um, and we listen 
this this church wants to be a part of what you're doing. Okay, Thank we want to be a part. So, uh, so we need to talk about what that looks like in the future yeah. too. But we want to be a part of it, and um, and and so so I'm, I'm just excited for this opportunity to reconnect. So, Me too. All right. Thank you. Well, listen, thanks again, Erica, all of you who are listening today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been, we, it, you know, it's a little longer. This podcast episode is a little longer than we normally do, but totally worth it for crying out loud. So um, thank you for joining us. Uh, join us again next week. We'll have a, another awesome guest. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, right now, everyone who's listening to this, um, I, I, ask the Holy Spirit what, what God wants for you to do. What does the Lord want for you to do in response to what you just heard? Because sometimes we hear things and not responding is not an option. Okay, so, <laughs> so, uh, so not responding is a response. And so this is yeah. one of those moments. How does God want for you to get involved? What does the Lord want for you to do? And, um, and uh, let's just let's roll up our sleeves and, and go to work with someone we know, someone, uh, someone uh, who we believe in and, we, and, and, and in a work that God is calling all of us to. So um, let's figure yeah. out how we can do that. All right. All right. And uh, join us next week for another podcast episode. Until then, though, uh, we'll see you around town. Thanks for tuning in to First Things First. We want to invite you to join us for worship this Sunday at First Shallow Water. You can find us at 703 Avenue J in Shallow Water, Texas. Our Sunday morning service starts at 1030 a.m. Click on the link in the description of this episode for more information about our church or if you'd just like to reach out to us. Check out the previous episodes of this podcast. Make sure you do that. We really have had the privilege of hearing some amazing stories. And make sure you check back each week for a new episode. Until then, we'll see you around town.